Hello and welcome to the Practice Drill Podcast, Episode 9. So much to get into on today's episode. We're beginning off talking about the NBA Finals as on Wednesday we get into Game 6 as the Bucks look to close out the series at home. Then we move into the Wallabies' gutsy series win against the French. Is the Biff returning to the NRL after a couple of instances on Sunday and what is next for the Australian men's T20 cricket team after a disappointing series to the West Indies. As always, I'm joined by my very good mate, Blaze McKee. What's going on, mate? Not much, still in lockdown, but you know, a very exciting week of sports. So I guess that's keeping us going. So enjoyed the past week from Origin to a uh, international rugby test and AFL and NRL. Enjoyed it all? Yeah, it was good. Good variety this week and, you know, a lot of close games. So kept us interesting during lockdown. A hundred percent. Well, if you'd like to check out our other work, go and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at T underscore practice drill. And let's get straight into it, Blaze. Here we go. So as I said, we'll start off today's podcast talking about the NBA finals, an absolute epic game we saw on Sunday between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. The Bucks won it on the road to go up 3-2 in the series, and they do look to close out and win the championship in Game 6. The highlight play, obviously, that everyone is talking about plays from Game 5 is Drew Holiday's strip on Devin Booker and and, and basically the balls to, to lob that up to Giannis for the alley-oop dunk, draw the foul as well. It was, it was an absolute classic NBA Finals play that we'll remember for a long time. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. You know, the, the NBA, the, the way it goes, it's pretty, you know, they really rely on those type of viral moments. And that was definitely one. And I think some of the photos and videos that came from that moment are going to live on for a long time. Oh, yeah. As, you, as we were talking about um, just prior to the show about the the picture that's been going viral about Giannis's dunk. You see LeBron James sitting there courtside and there, there are a few other famous people there in Phoenix, but you know, it's just, it just shows shows what the NBA is capable of these just fantastic moments right at the most important part of the season. Um, and this was a crucial, crucial win for the Bucks. You know, they were down two nil, to Phoenix to start the series and they've won three straight now. But an interesting fact about winning game five, the team that wins game five wins the NBA title 72.4% of the time. So I'll ask you, Blaze, do you think the Bucs are going to go on to win this championship? I certainly hope so. I mean, I picked them, picked them at the start of the series and I think, you know, NBA Finals, when it comes to those uh, seven-game series, it's a lot about momentum. And, you know, it's the end of the season. Guys are very tired. So, if you can get that momentum and hopefully ride it out to a championship. You're 100% right. And you're talking about momentum and players finding that momentum. The two highlight players, one on each team, has been Giannis Antetokounmpo and Devin Booker. Giannis, at the moment, averaging 32 points, 13 rebounds, six assists. Booker averaging... 30 points, four rebounds, four assists. But I'll, I'll ask you this question. Do you think the Phoenix Suns can win without Chris Paul playing at his best? He's been below average and Devin Booker has had to average 30 points in order to make these games close. So, so what do you think? Can they win without Chris Paul playing at his best? 
you know, probably that they've gone down in the series now. They probably need Chris Paul to really stand up. I think he started the series really well. And, and you know, there was a lot of hype around him and how he would really impact this series. And if they had Chris Paul and Booker producing at a high level, they'd be really tough to stop. But unfortunately, he's fallen away. And, and you know, it's it's been difficult from the Suns since he started to fall away in form. But, you know, I think there are some other key keys for both teams. And I think... For the Bucks, a few of their other players have also stood up, making it difficult for the Suns to handle. Well, yeah, I'll get you further on that. So what do you think is the key for the Bucks? We spoke about just before the series began, you claim that the important thing for Milwaukee was to have Giannis, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton all firing at the same time. They were 100% doing that in Game 5. That's obviously the key for the Bucks, but what is the key for the Suns to try and draw this back to a Game 7 at home? I think they've probably got to, well, as we spoke about, a few of, their, few of their other key players, Chris Paul, needs to stand up, but they, they probably need to try to stop Middleton and those guys getting through. I think Giannis is going to be very hard to stop. You know, he's, he's a beast in himself and he's very hard to match up against, but if they can maybe limit some of the production from the, the Bucks' second and third guys, you know, they can have a chance of coming back in the series. But having said that, it's going to be very difficult now that they've kind of lost their home court advantage, you could say, and, and there's only a few more games to go. Yeah, well, if they don't uh, pull their socks up, Phoenix, in game six, they'll be, they'll be gone. They'll be out. But we'll move on to our second topic, something very close to your heart, the Wallabies. I'll an amazing series win, 2-1 in the best of three series. They won the decider, 33 points to 30, a very close game. And it kind of encapsulated the, the entire series, how close it was. What did you make of, um, of this gutsy series win by the Wallabies? Yeah, it was incredible for them to, you know, come in. All the circumstances were against them in that third test. They had a red card and I think, the fifth or fourth minute. And, you know, obviously... At that level, usually when you have that man down, you, you go on to lose the game. But they managed to hang in there. And as you said, the closeness of the third test is probably indicative of the series on the whole. You know, the, the aggregate score across the three tests was 82 points to 79. So, you know, in the end, it was one of those ones that could go either way. And luckily for Australia, they came out on the right side. So what do you think this means for rugby union as a game in Australia. Obviously, there's been a lot made outside of our podcast, just in other media and saying that's kind of falling behind compared to the main codes of rugby league and, and AFL. How important is this series win? And can they use this to build towards a, a successful World Cup run? Yeah, I think, you know, whenever you get a big series win, there's going to be a bit of increased increase media and increased positivity. And you know, particularly in Australia with the amount of sports we have, you know, it's really important to be winning because for fans, if, if teams are not playing good style and teams are not winning, they can very easily you know, go on to another sport. And particularly we have obviously rugby league and rugby union quite similar. So fans can really swap between the two to get a, to get a winning, winning performance and a winning side. So to get a win in the series was, was really good. And Hopefully, there's some big things around the corner. Who was who was the big winner from the series? Who from the Wallabies stood out and really got them across the line? As you said, 82 to 79 aggregate score. Like, that is extremely close. It means it was tied going into that final game. Who was the difference? 
I, I felt probably someone like Noel Alessio was really important. You know, a young 10, only 21 years old and was coming off, you know, a test debut last year where he really struggled. But, you know, he managed to really uh, get rid of some of those demons and, and was pretty outstanding and really built through the series probably as the Wallabies did as well. You know, he, he kicked two clutch penalty goals to win us game one and three. And I think he only missed one kick off the tee for the whole series. So, yeah, he was pretty outstanding. And when it came to those big moments in the first and last game, he was able to stand up and get the win. But for Australia, you know, it's only the start of the start of the Test match summer and they'll continue now to the All Blacks who are going to be probably a bigger and better uh, challenge for them. And, you know, playing in Auckland in a few weeks is it's one of the toughest places to go in, in rugby union. We'll move on from rugby union to its cousin, rugby league. Um, people can debate which one's better better than the other. But um, the Biff, it's returning. A couple of brouhaha's on the weekend, as those uh, bloke in a bar boys would say. But the fights, they're starting to come back into the NRL. Obviously, not too many punches thrown, but it was more of just some very interesting, odd moments. The major scuffle in particular was in the South Sydney Rabbitohs uh, Bulldogs game where Lachlan Lewis and Cody Walker seem to just be having a conversation and Lachlan Lewis seemed to have a brain snap and tackled him to the, to the ground. It was one of the most odd things I've ever seen. What did, what did you make of it? Yeah, as you said, I guess a good word for it is odd. You know, it wasn't, wasn't really aggressive from Lachlan Lewis. It was a bit of a, a bear hug kind of tackle take to the ground. And yeah, there wasn't much aggression or force in it, but just strange. I don't know. I guess tempers run high and maybe a bit fatigued going into half time, but pretty strange. And then obviously we had the, the Tyron May and Reese Walsh incident, which was a bit, again, a bit different. You don't often see the fights, you know, spill over onto the sideline, but um, their one did. And as you said, no punches thrown, but maybe not the best look for the game. Yeah. Um, on that, Tyrone May, Reese Walsh incident. It was kind of weird because Cooper Cronk came out talking on Fox League about how Reese Walsh needs to be. Uh, this is this is paraphrasing. This isn't exactly word for word, so don't quote me on it. But it was basically saying that he needs to learn that that's a part of the game, and you need to expect players to do stuff to you after you kick the ball, and he needs to just mature in that area. But as an 18-year-old, still, what, nine games into his NRL career, nine or ten games, like, it's still so new to him, all that type of stuff. So I thought that was a little bit harsh there from from Kronk. But um, I don't know why Tyrone May held on for so long and, and dragged him basically onto the Warriors bench. I don't know why you – I don't know what you're doing there. I thought – Surely a penalty gets warranted from that. We talk about late hits being penalties, um, you know, high tackles on kickers. I don't see how this is any different from one of those. They're holding on for such a long time. Um, so I was really um, perplexed by that. But there was also a fight at the end of the Origin game the other night where Junior Paulo actually, you know, threw some hands, landed a couple. They weren't amazing. But my theory is, is that the Biff is returning to the NRL because of the circumstances that have, that have emerged in the game where they've had to be uh, relocated to Southeast Queensland. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Or do you think that's just a, a hot take? 
I think it might have something to do with it. You know, they're only a week in, so if that's already the the effect, it might we might have a few things to worry about in the weeks to come. But definitely, I think you know, up in a bubble, players are going to be a bit frustrated and a bit pent up, and and you know, maybe they are taking it out on the field, but. You know, obviously, it's a bit of a tough thing being away from your home and, and hopefully the players can, can find other ways to take out their frustrations. Yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not the smartest way to just start fights everywhere. But I think they've been dealing with it for... you got you got to remember, they've been dealing with it for, for a year and a half now, basically. And it's been, you know, for a majority of it, the, most teams have been able to stay at home. Obviously, the Warriors and the Melbourne Storm in particular have had, you know live away from Melbourne and Auckland for um, a very decent amount of time. But even the players that have been in Sydney, you've been basically on house arrest the whole time and you go to training and you do your essential shopping and you come back home. So now to be relocated, is it's probably very frustrating and I can understand that. Do we need to take it out on other people? Probably not. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, but but this is the thing when this is this is the extreme end of it when Lachlan Lewis you're walking off at halftime and you decide to as you described bear hug Cody Walker he get he got sin bin because of it and during that ten minutes after halftime South put on eight points and the game was tied and they put on eight points and 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 started to go ahead so um, we really see the impact of making um, stupid decisions like that. But anyway, we'll move on to our final topic of episode nine of the Practice Drill podcast. What is next for the Australian T20 cricket side? They have just finished their T20 series against the West Indies. They're going into a three-game, one-day series against them now. They lost the T20 series four games to one. What did you think of this? I can't even begin to describe how frustrated I am about it. Yeah, I think we spoke about it a few weeks ago. You know, the Aussie T20 side is a real interesting case and I think they've they've stagnated, which is, is frustrating given the importance of T20 cricket in the world of cricket at the moment. You know, it's the it's the format that people want to watch and, and it's going to attract viewers to the game. But, you know, Australia haven't been performing well. And I think a 4-1 loss, you know, is incredibly disappointing. In the T20 series, typically... Typically, you see a bit of a, you know, tit for tat style. One team wins one game, one team, and you'd see a lot of maybe three, two, series results. But you know, the four one shows shows it was a complete domination. And unfortunately for Australia, a lot of the losses were were not very close. And, and there's definitely some big issues moving forward for them. There are some huge issues moving forward, and I guess the fallout of the series has brought a brought some major skepticism upon most areas of their of their um, team's build-up. Like, there's no area of the current team that you can say is uh, 8.5 out of 10, a 9 out of 10. So that includes the opening batsmen. We've seen, you know, Matthew Wade and Aaron Finch be there for a majority, but um, uh, we saw Felipe there at the... Philippi, sorry. At the... Um, end of the series. The middle order has chopped and changed so much and the same with the bowlers, so many changes. But one standout from the series has been Mitchell Marsh, who got promoted to number three for the final T20. 
people saying he should be moved there permanently. What do you think? What do you make of his um, his series he just had? I think his series was pretty incredible and he was probably the one shining light for Australia. In terms of moving to three permanently, I, I highly doubt that's going to happen. I'd say for me, Steve Smith will bat three and I'd probably have Glenn Maxwell at four and then probably Mitch Marsh at five and maybe Stoinis at six. I think Marsh... You know, he's definitely probably cemented his, his position in the team. And from this series with the West Indies, he's probably one of only a few that have really cemented their place, unfortunately, going forward. And, you know, another big issue for them is their bowling attack. They've mixed and mashed again a lot through the series. And unfortunately, a lot of guys didn't go too well. But for you, who, who's the right bowling attack to take into the World Cup? I think it's one of the hardest um, questions to answer at the moment. Obviously, I was very full of uh, criticism for Mitchell Stark um, in our, in our uh, episode seven podcast where we spoke about the T20 team. He just hasn't been delivering for about 12 months now. So I think it was good that they kind of dropped him. For me, we've got to go T20 bowlers um, mainly, just ones that play a consistent amount. So for me, that is Andrew Ty, um, Jai Richardson, Adam Zampa, I don't mind Hazelwood or Stark being in there, um, but as long as they're performing well, I mean, Hazelwood had a great first game, but kind of fizzled his way out of the series um, as it progressed. So for me, it's it's such an impossible question, but those names in particular are the ones that stand out for me. What about you? Do you have any to add to that list that you'd like to see? Yeah, I think we've definitely probably got to look towards the more T20 specialist bowlers. Another, I guess, area of benefit for Australia is some of their batsmen can bowl a few overs, you know, Mitch Marsh, Stoinis, Glenn Maxwell, if they can give you five or six overs a game, then you've only got to get 14 overs from your, you know, your main strike bowlers. So if one of them's having an off day, you can, you can just bowl them two overs and you don't have to go the full four, which is where we've seen, you know, some big, big economy rates this, this series. And yeah, and that's what, that's what the best, one day teams have like if you look at the West Indies bowling list for this series, they have about seven or eight bowlers bowling each game because their their batsmen or their middle order batsmen can bowl as well and and chip in and that's that's what makes a successful T Twenty side. Um, but as you said, Mitch Marsh is handy for two overs. I start bowling him three because I think he's actually um, hit some consistency and and uh, and. Uh, stringing together some really good performances and you need to kind of utilize um, him when he's in that form because he can be dangerous. He took eight wickets throughout the series. His batting was obviously the standout averaging 43.8 and a total of 219 runs in five innings. So that's very impressive. But for you, what is next? What What is next for the Aussie team? How do they improve before the T20 World Cup? Is it about getting players back into the side? As you said, Steve Smith, Marcus Stoinis, those guys aren't there at the moment. Labashane. Is it about getting those guys back into the team or can we still be successful with the squad we have currently in the West Indies? I think, you know, if you had it perfect, you would definitely get those guys in the squad straight away and get them playing together. But I'm not sure how that's all going to work in terms of COVID and, and the you know, the restrictions in terms of getting them there. I think for these one-day one day games, they can be really beneficial. 
you know, obviously a different format, but, you know, some of the guys can hopefully use them to, to get themselves in a bit more form and, and maybe push back into selection discussions for the T20s. I think, you know, it's getting closer and closer. There's not going to be many more games for the cricket team. So the more times you can get out there and have a, have a bat or have a bowl in the middle is going, to be, is going to be beneficial for everyone, I think. Yeah, you're 100% right. Absolutely agree with everything that you said. But that will do us for today's podcast. As I said, if you'd like to see some of our other work, go and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at T underscore practice drill. We're keeping you up to date on all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket, and NBA basketball. But Blaze, enjoy your week of sport, and we'll be back next Monday for another podcast. See you next time.